0: I'm Kelly McEvers, and this is Embedded, an NPR podcast where we take a story from the news and go deep. And today, we are on Skid Row in Los Angeles. If you don't know about it, Skid Row is a pretty notorious place. It's about 50 square blocks. Thousands of people live there. Many of them are homeless and live on the street. Others live in shelters or short-term hotels. Back in the spring of 2015, police responded to a call on Skid Row about a robbery. Officers approach a man named Charlie Lindo Kanung. He went by the nickname Africa out on the sidewalk. And another guy starts filming. All the tape you're about to hear is from that guy's video. Just a warning here, there's some explicit language up ahead. Kanang is wheeling around as the police try to grab him. It looks like they're trying to cuff Kanang. The police get on their knees, holding him on the ground. You can hear what sounds like a taser going off. And then this happens.
1: Just killed that man! Just shot that motherfucking man like that.
0: Three officers shot Charlie Canung five times, and then he died. An autopsy later found Canung had meth in his system. A report by the police inspector general said Canung's behavior was consistent with someone who has mental illness. Police say he was grabbing for an officer's holstered gun. Since then, we have seen a lot of officer-involved shootings. More and more are being captured on video, either by civilians or on police body cams or dash cams. People protesting these shootings in Ferguson, New York, Cleveland, Chicago say the police are the problem. That their tactics are too harsh and they're especially hard on black people. The Police say civilians like us don't understand what they're up against. On Skid Row, where thousands of LA's most vulnerable people, many of them Black, are concentrated in one really small area, questions of how police should use force and interact with people come up all the time. So that's what we're talking about on our show today. We're going down to Skid Row, one of the most challenging places in the country for police to work for a day and a night to watch the police do their jobs.
1: HubSpot supports Embedded because they love great stories. That's all. HubSpot wants to get back to the episode early, too. So that's what we'll do.
0: Okay, so first, really quick, let me just say, this is not going to be a story about what happened to Charlie Canung. The police recently ruled the shooting was justified The three officers who fired that day are back in the field. Reports by the police chief and the inspector general found that Kanung was reaching for an officer's gun. But Jeff Charlotte, a reporter who was able to look at police videos of the shooting, wrote he did not see Kanung reaching for a gun in videos. What this story is, is a story about police tactics and approaches. So to start, we're going to Skid Row during the day. And when I say we, I mean me and producer Tom Dreisbach. It's the middle of the day, and if you've never been to Skid Row before, we should
2: just describe it a little. It's really packed with people, a lot of people waiting
0: outside shelters or places where they can get a meal. Other people are sitting on milk crates or boxes or curbs, hanging out. Some are drinking, smoking weed, doing other drugs. And there are hundreds of tents everywhere, up and down almost every
2: street. We began by asking the Los Angeles Police Department to let us go out on
0: patrol with some officers. The police knew they had an image problem after the shooting of Charlie Lindo Canaan, the homeless man who went by the name Africa.
2: So they basically put us in touch with two of the nicest cops they have. Andre Lanier. Say your name again. Lanier. And okay. Delano okay. Hutchins. And actually I think my mom got it after Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. They're both African-American, like many of the people who live down on Skid Row.
0: And they're so nice. We have to wonder if the bosses did this on purpose so the police will look good in the press.
2: So we start walking with Hutchins and Lanier, and they tell us how they do things on Skid Row. Kind of like high visibility,
3: kind of walk down the block, address whatever needs to be addressed. And at times we will pick up radio calls if it's in our area. Uh, A lot of people
1: out here, you're going to find out that they know us. (laughs) It's because we get out and we talk to
2: people, you know.
0: Okay, so let's just take a minute right here to talk about policing on Skid
2: Row. Back in 2006, the LAPD added 50 extra police officers to
0: Skid Row. That was an extra officer for every square block. And the idea was to apply the so-called broken windows theory of policing, a theory that was first widely applied in Rudy Giuliani's New York City. And the idea is to cite and arrest people for the small stuff, like vandalism, jaywalking, and public drinking, to prevent them from committing the big crimes. up on he over there.
2: <laughs> so the two officers we're with, Andre Lanier and Delano Hutchins, they've basically chosen to not use the tougher, safer cities, broken windows approach.
0: Instead, they do something they call
2: outreach policing. Here's a little bit of what that sounds like.
0: Hey, how you doing today? Hey,
3: all right, how you guys? Oh, all right, good how to good. see you. Hey, how have you been?
1: What's going, What's going on? on? Hey, how's it going, man?
3: It's Officer Friendly and Officer Friendlier.
1: <laughs> What's up, baby girl? How you doing? You know I'm going to have to pull that out, man. All Give me right? that, man. You right. Caught you sleeping, huh? All right, how you doing today? Diane. Diane. You all right, sweetie? Are okay. Still?
3: Hey, how you doing?
0: She was looking for you. I will
3: for my lap dance. <laughs> 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 you know, I'll get
4: my
0: and you can hear it. It's not just that people on Skid Row know these guys. People like these guys. So then after a couple hours, Hutchins and Lanier get a call.
2: We walk a couple blocks and find another police
0: officer in the process of citing a guy for allegedly selling loose cigarettes, Lucy's. And the guy who is being cited for selling the Lucy's, his name is Liddell Stuckey is not happy.
4: What's going on? Um, I'm being harassed right now because he's seen me pick up my cigarettes off the ground. So if you ain't proved that you, I'm um, illegal vending out here, just because you seen me pick up my cigarettes don't necessarily mean that I'm selling cigarettes.
2: We should say that Liddell Stuckey is very well known by the police.
0: This guy sticks out. He wears this big gold chain and a t-shirt with a big pot leaf pattern on it. And he says he is always being harassed by the cops. They say... He's a problem. Time I'm going to be work. here
1: every single day. I know you will.
4: So get used to it. So guess what, as soon as he let me go, I'm going to have go to the store and buy me some more cigarettes. I'm homeless. Where do you expect for me to
0: go? I mean, it might sound like Liddell Stuckey is just talking trash here, but two hours later, two hours after he got this citation and had this fight with the cops, we walk right past the same spot, and who do we see? Liddell Stuckey. Same dude, same spot. Two hours later, <laughs> six more packs of cigarettes. I
1: know, I know, I know. I'm sorry, y'all. I apologize. apologize. Come on now.
2: And the thing is, Officers Hutchins and Lanier don't arrest or cite Liddell Stuckey, even though it looks like he's selling cigarettes again.
1: So you're giving them away for free, right? Yeah, no. If, if you want one, it's, you can have it. It's one. donations, right? I set separate donations.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> so we walk down the block and we ask Hutchins and Lanier, why they didn't give the guy another citation, or even arrest
1: him. What, what do you think our biggest, biggest, biggest job is?
0: Is for him to not do that anymore. No, no. no. Really,
1: is our big job to Who worry cares? about him selling those cigarettes right. on the sidewalk? Our biggest job is safety. Okay.
2: Hutchins says if they try to arrest Liddell Stuckey right now, it could escalate into a fight.
0: And arresting him probably won't stop him from committing crimes again. Lanier and Hutchins say it's better to get people's trust than to constantly hit them with citations and arrests.
2: When people trust you, Lanier says, they help you solve crimes. If we just go
3: out and then we just ah just pounding everybody every second of the day, then we're not really doing our job because now no one trusts us. You know, we can't we can't solve those unsolved crimes because no one would talk to us about it.
0: So officers Hutchins and Lanier aren't going to help us learn about Safer cities, broken windows policing on Skid Row because they don't do hardcore broken windows policing. And we ask him about it later. Why do they do their jobs this way? Officer Delano Hutchins grew up in Detroit. He says the people on Skid Row are a lot like the people he grew up with.
1: You know the kids are the kids that I played with, the teenagers that are down there are the kids I went to school with, and the adults down there you know, drinking, smoking dope, whatever. They're the people that some of my uncles, my parents hung around, or that I even witnessed, you know? so. In Detroit. Yeah.
0: Andre Lanier grew up in Louisiana and then L.A. And we spent a lot of time with him while he was working, but it was later when we meet up with him again that he tells us his family actually spent some time living on Skid Row. Back in the day... And i never forget, my mom
3: actually came way of Skid Row to a shelter before she could actually get
0: into low-income housing. It wasn't just his mom who was living in a homeless shelter on Skid Row. It was him and his two brothers, too. Yeah, we actually came down to a shelter.
3: We actually came here. Um, it was only for maybe about two, almost two weeks. How old were you? About 12. And how
0: old yeah. are your brothers?
3: 11 and
0: 10. What was it like? Different.
3: A lot of people, a lot of
0: chaos. The kids would go to school during the day and come home to the shelter at night. and Their mom wouldn't let them go out on Skid Row. After two weeks, they got approved for subsidized housing, left Skid Row, and moved into a house in South Central LA. But you must now when you see people. I mean, do you think about it? Yeah, all the time, and and I think that's
3: that's part of the reason why I do what I do. You know, it's it's always you know in the back of my mind, and uh, and I I just think that that's part of why I'm here. You know, it, it's it's kind of like my calling. Do the
0: people you work with know about that? No.
3: No. <laughs> no. What would they say? If they. Did? Um. It probably I don't know. It probably just
2: be. Probably shocked, more shocked than, yeah, yeah, probably more shocked. So we still wanted to know about the Safer Cities Initiative,
0: what the more strict, broken window style of policing looks like, and whether it works. So we set up another time with police officers, this time with cops who work the night shift. And what we saw was a lot different. That's coming up after this break. We'd like to say a quick thank you to one of our sponsors, Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can avoid time-consuming trips to the post office. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your computer. Over 600,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com for a special offer. A four-week trial, plus postage, and a digital scale. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone, and type in embedded.
2: The plan is that I'll be with the police on the overnight shift. Check, 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 all right.
0: And on the same night, I'll be out on the streets with the people who live on Skid Row.
5: Your coffee's in there.
0: Yeah, I'll leave it.
5: Oh, really? Okay.
0: My guide is a guy who goes by the name T.C. He doesn't want us to say his full name.
5: I'll tell you, sister. Yep. I love Skid Row. Am I on? Yes. There's no people in this world more realer than people on Skid Row.
0: T.C. is homeless. He's lived on Skid Row off and on since the 80s. It's
5: a love and hate thing.
0: Yeah, I know, you were just saying you love Mm -hmm. it. What's up, Red? And T.C. is a glad hander, too. He says hey to to just about everybody we see on Skid Row. He's also a volunteer for the LA Community Action Network. This is a group that organizes protests against police. TC says the safer cities approach has done him no good. How many times have you been arrested down here?
5: I got arrested 13 times in 2012, sleeping on a sidewalk, sitting on a crate. I got arrested in 2011 for sitting on a crate.
0: They say that the more you arrest people, you know, the more likely they are to change. Or maybe leave.
5: Leave and go leave where? Leave and
0: go back home. Go,
5: go back to the same misery that they left? I, I find that ridiculous. To rearrest them 50 times for the same crime, they're not going to learn a lesson, they're going to learn how to be more stubborn. That's the only thing you're teaching them. When I went to jail 13 times, it didn't do nothing but make me used to going
0: to jail. TC and I go to talk to other people who've been arrested a bunch of times under the Safer Cities initiative. We go down this dark street lined with tents. We meet a guy who would only give his name as KB, which he says stands for cowboy. You know, How did you come to, come to Skid Row?
4: I looked at Skid Row as an outlet to be me. You know, I can be me. I can be, you know, drunk. I can be whatever I want to be down here, you know, that I can fit in because everybody else is doing the same thing.
0: KB has lived on Skid Row since 2009. He says at one point he spent 18 months in prison for selling drugs. And he says now the police stop him and handcuff him a lot, too.
4: Usually it's for a a jaywalking or drinking in public ticket, because that's all I do is drink in public, and sometimes I might jaywalk just to get away from uh, bizarre people that might be getting on my nerves.
0: So how many times, like, this year have you been stopped?
4: Probably 10 times.
0: But KB has a different idea about this than TC. He says getting stopped and arrested all these times has actually changed the way he does things.
4: Yeah, it, it does in a certain way. It lets me know that I am being watched and um, I need to straighten up my act.
0: So you do. So it does change, so it makes yeah. you behave differently?
4: It gives me ideas to behave differently. But Still, KB says he
0: doesn't do trust do the police, especially after police shot and killed that homeless man, Charlie Kanung. Then he says he has to go. Thank you, KB. While TC and I walk around and talk to people about how they've been arrested, Tom starts his night with the police walking around. I'm with Officer Michael Orozco,
2: who at the time had worked on Skid Row for about two years. He's Latino and, as he says it, born and raised in L.A. And I can tell from the start that Orozco's approach is different from those two officers we were with during the day. Hutchins and Lanier. Do you feel like you have a good number of contacts out here? or No. no. Like, like, like people who give me information, that kind of? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Orozco says there's a lot of good people on Skid Row, people that he wants to help. But he says his style is more tough love. As we're walking, he talks to a guy on a bike. You got 30
5: minutes, man, to get a light on that.
2: He's talking to a guy biking without a light on. Later, a little after the sun goes down, we walk past a group of men sitting on the sidewalk. One of the men has a water bottle at his feet. Officer Orozco stops and asks for the guy's name.
5: What's your name? Do I know you? You don't know me. Do me, do me a favor, man. Is that your bag? I'm gonna grab this seat and come over here and sit down with me. I want to talk
2: wow. to you. I did doing What's the reason I do? Now, when we were with officers Hutchins and Lanier in similar situations, we saw them just walk by or give a friendly warning. Roscoe, on the other hand, grabs the guy's chair and the water bottle, walks a few feet down the block, and tells the guy who had that bottle to sit in the chair. The man sits down, he gives his name as Terry Jackson, and he asks why he's being detained.
5: It's because I believe this to be an, it ain't been, it's, not no an it's not an open container. Ben. It's closed. It's I an tell an my if I'm drinking
3: out of it, you cannot tell me that I was doing nothing wrong. Okay, Roscoe opens
2: the lid, and he and I can smell the beer. Like
1: Do me a this. favor, was, man. I, oh, stand, stand,
5: up. stand
2: up. I'm tired of you. I'm tired You're of your mouth. Jackson stands up and faces the wall, and Orozco puts him in handcuffs.
5: So check it out. You're gonna get a ticket for that. Oh, what? Oh, what? For that concealed not alcohol? No Not even, no care. Not even. All right. it's mine. Okay. At
2: this point, more people start coming by. One woman yells that this is unfair, and Terry Jackson, the guy in handcuffs, starts yelling, yelling about how police shot and killed that homeless man, Charlie Kanang, two weeks before.
5: You put these handcuffs on me all you want.
2: What you want to do, beat me too? You want to shoot? You want to shoot? You want to shoot? Shoot? shoot me? By now, about five or six people have gathered around. They're taking videos on their cell phones, and the officers call for help.
5: Yeah, call more backup, for y'all can kill somebody else.
2: A third officer pulls up in a patrol car, and things eventually calm down. Orozco uncuffs Jackson. He's not under arrest, but he does give him a citation for an open container. After we walk away, I ask Orozco why he decided to give that guy a ticket in that moment. I think if I can do it one ticket at a time, enforce the drinking in that area, it
5: will deter. If not anybody else, at least him. If not now, well then maybe later. If not him, maybe somebody else. That is a problem
2: location, and I gave a ticket to a problem individual, and it's as simple as that. Orozco is basically just explaining the idea behind safer cities. He says public drinking leads to public drunkenness, which leads to fighting, or worse.
1: Oh shoot. Oh my God.
2: So far, the only citations we've seen cops give are for selling loose cigarettes or drinking in public. But worse crimes happen every day on Skid Row, and police have to deal with them all the time, too. That's why they say they need so many officers, and they need to do everything they can to be tough on serious criminals in a really chaotic place. Here's some of the other stuff I saw. At one point, police respond to a woman throwing her husband's stuff out of their fifth floor apartment. There's a broken DVD player and some boxer shorts out on the sidewalk. Police rush up the stairs to her apartment by the time we get to her door, she's already gone. Then there's a man who says he has depression and schizophrenia. He breaks a window at the building where he's staying. You hearing voices today? Police and paramedics see him, patch up his bloody hands, and release him with a warning. You're going to be alright, man. This goes on for hours. Radio call comes in, we go check it out, and there is no glad-handing. Most of our time is actually just spent in the police car, and that's how it goes on the night shift. Then, around 2.30 in the morning, it's close to the end of the shift, and I'm still in the police car.
0: I am out on the street still, with TC. We're about a block away from the police station, and something happens. Okay, that was a gunshot. I'm not far away,
2: sitting in a police car. Kelly sends me a one-word text, gunshot. Then, we hear about it on the radio. Police
0: dispatch four cars to the area. I see those cars drive by. A couple of the black and whites are kind of milling around. I also see people running away. The police say someone called
2: and said a security guard had been shot and stabbed at a shelter. When they finally reach them, the shelter says no, everyone's actually fine.
3: All security guards are accounted for this time.
2: The police say they found no victims, no witnesses, and so they just go back on regular patrol.
0: As far as we know, no one got hurt from that gunshot. But not long after that night, someone was stabbed to death on Skid Row. Then months later, someone was shot and killed, and then another fatal stabbing. So there clearly needs to be a strong police presence down on Skid Row. But the question of whether the safer cities policing approach is actually working seems to point to no. People told us it's resulted in a lot of tickets, but no real reduction in crime violent crime is now up in downtown LA, which includes Skid Row. We found two studies on safer cities. One says it didn't reduce crime. Another says it did. Police will argue that they can't enforce as much as they want to because of lawsuits against them. Either way, you still have people like TC and Liddell Stuckey getting these tickets, but not really doing anything differently. And the other thing? is it's not like all the cops are applying a single uniform approach down on Skid Row. On the one end of the spectrum, you have officers like Delano Hutchins and Andre Lanier, and on the other, you have officers like Michael Orozco. This is true in a lot of police departments. Police do have discretion, but when they have too much discretion, some say that's when things go wrong.
2: It's a few hours after that gunshot, The sun is starting to come up, and the next shift of police are out patrolling.
0: After 6 in the morning, it is technically illegal to have your tent set up on the sidewalk. That's another one of those small crimes that can get you a ticket. Whether you actually do get a ticket depends on the officer.
2: Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up.
0: Since we did this reporting, the LAPD has acknowledged that in some way, the Safer Cities approach needs to change. It's renamed and reformulated SCI. It's now called RESET. That stands for Resources Enhancement Services Enforcement Team. The head of that team is Lieutenant Andy Mathis, and he's worked on Skid Row for more than 10 years. He says RESET means there's more outreach and less broken windows. Police officers now walk around with homeless outreach workers and other service providers to focus on more than just crime. We spend a lot more time in footbeats.
1: There's probation, there's parole that bring unique uh, rehabilitation programs, substance use programs to the table. We have uh, homeless service specialists that can go out there. So it's, it's not the same. The days of walking out and, and taking everybody to jail we simply don't, don't, can't happen any longer.
0: Mathis says the new name and the new approach should go a long way in, quote, mitigating the image that the police are heartless. Since we did this reporting, Officer Delano Hutchins has left Skid Row. So has Michael Orozco. They work in other divisions. Andre Lanier still works on Skid Row. He is now assigned to do outreach full time. That means it's his job to go out and talk to people and try to connect them with the services they need all day long. He tells us he is one of four officers assigned to outreach, out of a total of 54 RESET officers. And you're a part of the RESET team, right? Yes. And so, and that was used to be called Safer Cities Initiative? Correct. Um, so it's the same? It's the same
3: thing. Uh, the name just changed. But we do exactly the same thing.
0: When we ask another officer, she says, yeah, we're policing more aggressively. You know, zero tolerance type stuff. But we're also trying to be more fair. Another former SCI officer said, same thing, different smell. I just want to thank some people who helped make this show possible from the beginning. Joanna Pawlowska, Quinn O'Toole, Steve Lichtai, Lisa Pollock, Eric Newsom, and Matt Martinez. This episode was produced by Tom Dreisbach and Chris Benderev and edited by Sean Cole and Steve Drummond, with help from Shireen Marisol Miraji, Sonari Glinton, Brett Bachman, Mithoni Muturi, Julia Buckley, Frank Stoltz, Pete White, Don Graham, and James Spring. Digital production by Alexander McCall, research help from Jane Gilvin, original music by Colin Wamsgans. Show is executive produced by me, Chris Turpin, and Anya Grundman. Our project manager is Kasia Podbielski. You can hear more NPR on your local public radio station. On another show I host called All Things Considered, we will be back next week when we get inside an immigration court that has one of the highest deportation rates in the country.
3: A lot of the people who come in and see me. Will say, I completed my probation, and I'll explain it to them. I'll say, Listen, you were fined for criminal purposes but immigration is different.
2: You know? um, have you ever dealt drugs in the United States? No, uh, so. I'm gonna
3: to object to that question. What's the
0: pl- Did you guys talk about the plan if, if he doesn't get to come home today?
1: I have no plan if, if, the, if they deny it. I just look forward to walking out of here with my husband and taking him back home.
0: If you haven't done it yet, subscribe to this podcast and go ahead, leave that review in iTunes. Like I say, it matters. Oh, and download the NPR One app, where right now you can hear episodes of Pop Culture Happy Hour a day earlier than usual. Seriously, download NPR One. It will change your life. I'm Kelly McEvers. Thanks for listening.